Hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees and their Multicultural Mess and Secular Scam. Thank you so much for joining me again today. I really appreciate your presence. Um, and today is a great day because while we celebrate uh, events in our, in our history and in our journey, uh, we celebrate negative events, we learn from it, we make every single junction into an intellectual laboratory and we heal. And once we heal, we, in order for, to do that, we need knowledge, we need to offload the layers and the layers and layers of, of data that, that lives in us, that is, um, um, interred into our DNA and uh, we do an atwa, we understand the currents that form our waves. Um, and so today is a great day, a great junction in, in our lives, in the history of the Indian subcontinent. We have, uh, we will have a new president of India, uh, Srimati, the Right Honorable uh, Srimati Draupadi Murmo. Uh, she is the first tribal uh, Adivasi um, president and I would like to start by offering her my many congratulations I am so honored to be living in this time um, where we will see someone like her and um, of her stature and status um, as the honorable president and the first lady of, um, of the Republic of Bharat and India um, it is an amazing moment and um, we all know that she has gone through a very tough time in life, comes from a marginalized group of people, she's lost her sons, it is unimaginable um, and um, lost her husband and it's been, I'm sure it's been tough. And uh, she has still held her own, she has smiled, she's remained calm under pressure uh, and she has still uh, you know, given her life um, for her people and the people who she has been elected for. Um, and today she is now being rewarded. Life has rewarded her. And as uh, the Gita tells us, do not invest in the fruit of the action, invest in the action. Your duty is to put all your effort into your actions, into your um in, in, into making the surroundings around you better, uh, to heal, to bring that healing to others, to stabilize the status quo, to join the dots, to make life better, uh, and do not bother about the fruits of the action. The fruits of the action will come. If you invest in positive um, uh, actions, you will get positive uh, rewards. If you invest in negativity, you will get negative rewards. So that is very, very important to understand. And Srimati um, Draupadi uh, Murmo has invested in all the positive actions uh, possible. Um, she has maintained her calm, her cool, even after the opposition, which is, uh, I consider preposterous, uh, having slandering her in all for, uh, forms and, and features. Uh, there's a lot of slander going on, which is not seen in a presidential election. Uh, it's really an internal... Um, uh, election and I have to say that uh, I thought it was shameful what they did but she held her calm and she has been rewarded by life the energies of the cosmos have given her her dues and I'm sure her husband uh, will be looking down on her and looking um, will will be there with her her two sons will be there with her 
um, in our heart, in her, their energy will live in her. And, and when she takes the oath as the 15th president of the Republic of India, we are very honored. And I, I would like to offer my uh, heartfelt congratulations to uh, Srimati um, Draupadi Murmo, uh, Madam President, um, her people, her family, um, her tribes, um, and um, yes, her, her tribes and 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 basically the people who look up to her and who helped who who she has uh, who she has uh, helped uh, in in all these years behind her. her. So it is also a, a journey. It is very important to understand that she's come from nothing and she's going to be the first lady of India. Uh, sorry and. And for those who don't have confidence in themselves, who lack confidence, who've been put down every time, remember nothing is impossible, nothing. You have to think positive, you have to do positive, you have to help people, even if there's no reward in it for you. The best, the best healing uh, that you can ever get is to help others. Remove your hat, remove your ideologies, remove your labels and be that pole position and that's that, that pole star and let people depend um, hold on to you in the toughest of times um, and 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 give to them what what they need uh, in in whatever way whatever way you can and 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 it is the best healing uh, possible and life will gift it back to you and you will slowly rise up the status quo it's very very important um, and you so this is a journey a junction in life where um, where we we tell ourselves we can do anything just remove all your hats all your labels and you can really uh be the best person ever you can reach there is sky is not a limit the word uh, limit does not exist um so today we're going to use this junction as an intellectual laboratory um and it's very very um important for all of us um a lot of people, or should I say, a lot of people? I'm going to come up with certain uh, with uh, with uh, certain questions that have been put uh, put forward by um, by certain people and questions being asked. I'm going to answer some of these questions. Uh, some people have said. Uh, so here's a query number one: Do we really need a president? What is the use of a president? Um, does a president really matter? Do we need a president in this country? So let me explain to you a very simple fact. Now, I've said it before in a previous podcast. I was talking about the Duke and Duchess of soap operas or Mr. and Mrs. Harry Windsor Mountbatten. Um, so let me explain to you how a, a president works. And I will give you the uh, example of the president of the United States. So, in which doesn't follow a, a parliamentary system of, of of government, okay? So, in the U.S., in the U.S. of A, the president is the head of state and leads the executive branch of a country. However, he is electric, elected through an electoral electoral process of political bickering, vendettas, mistrust, violence, and hero versus villain warfare. Exactly was what uh, Sri Sri uh, Yashwan Sinha was doing. 
calling her a rubber stamp, blah, 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 blah. He thought he was going to heaven by, by the negative uh, rhetoric, but he was, he's going absolutely nowhere. Uh, and this bickering vendettas, mistrust, is what uh, the electoral process is for political um, appointee, pol political uh, office of the President of the United States. We all know how that works out. So uh, he is not appointed, he is elected. This means divisions, us versus them, ancient and but now modern game of divide and rule. This means divisions. Um, so any president in, the Ameri um, in America, uh, be it any decision he takes, he or she takes, be it positive or negative, will be taken by, the, by negative by the opposition and positive by his own people. Okay? So uh, if... Uh, Barack Obama says something, uh, for example, uh, a new a new law on, on healthcare, the opposition automatically was going to bring it down. If Trump said something, well, the Democrats were going to bring it down. And it's exactly the same that's going on right now. It always is. It's de democracy is about divide and rule. Democracy is not about unity. Democracy is about divide and rule. Divide the electorate to believe that you're the hero and the other side is the victim. So, that is uh, that is the electoral process of the United States of America, and then you go up to be the president. Uh, so there will never be a consensus. That will ultimately lead to strife, revolt, and eventually civil war. Uh, and this is how countries break up. Uh, a tug of war that leads to what we call civil war. A revolt always comes from the inside. That is because there was no third party to intervene and balance the status quo. However, in a parliamentary system of government, as the United Kingdom or even in India, the national politics is played out by elected representatives to the House of Commons and uh, the appointed House of Lords, um, or in India, the Lok Sabha and the Rajya Sabha. While they battle it out in heated debates in the House of Commons, this eventually leads to ripple effects in the society and the divide and rule of power among the tapestry of layers that make us uh, make up the society below. In this case, in steps the sovereign or the president. As she is neutral, she will go around the sectors of civil society and balance those ripple effects that could form uh, tidal waves. She calls people to gather around for tea, charities, local supporting events. And since she is neutral, everyone gathers and forgets their politics. The next day she goes back and leaders of the local community community go back to the drawing board to gather and debate on issues with karma my heads knowing that they're all the same and equal under sovereign and she's there for the good of all okay so the sovereign the head of state in in a parliamentary system of government as in the united kingdom or india um or the president is neutral he does not uh, take sides and so it's important to have that balance to, uh, that a third party to be the checks and balance for an elected representative, such as the Prime Minister. This will never happen in America, where the President holds a political post and will always be a divider-in-chief 
and never a uniter. Whatever his issues or however good he turns out to be, you cannot expect to go on a campaign trail for two years, play the divide and rule and then expect to unite the country until the next election in two years time. There may be one needle in the haystack in two or three generations, but that's an exception rather than a rule. In this scenario, the parliamentary system absolutely beats out the other political system on the planet. It is therefore very important that the Queen maintains her neutrality, does not let out her opinion and remains a uniter in chief. Compare her to a merry-go-round. In the center, there is a stationary pole of metal or wood. It is connected to a platform through a motor and a system of pulleys attached to this stationary pole. All the hosses are attached by cranking rods, uh, two cranking rods, suspended from the ceiling of the merry-go-round and around the pole they go up and down. The Queen is a central pole or the head of state, the sovereign or the president of the United Kingdom or of India, uh, whoever, is the central pole attached to the motor. The motor is the constitution. Through lineage and her family, and marriage her family to that constitution through the generations they manage that merry-go-round. Whoever gets on and off has to respect rules. They also have a duty and responsibility to balance themselves on their own hoss. If not, they fall off the whole merry-go-round. Uh, has to stop for them. A technician comes and people get angry because they pay for this ride. This is the duty of the queen her family and her constitution. The slightest of issues can have far-reaching effects which make it even more vital for everyone to contribute to the smooth functioning of that merry-go-round. This is the story of our lives of sovereign states and thousands of years of history that make us all up. The head of state or the sovereign has an exemplary job of maintaining that merry-go-round with a few hiccups I might add. Um, um, some bigger than others and some not. However, the Queen of England has stood st strong and in, in parliamentary systems like India, the President has stood strong. Um, so it is important to understand that we are, uh, uh, the society is like a merry-go-round. You have a central pole and you have that pole is, is, is connected to the motor. The motor is the constitution. Um, the queen, the constitution uh, then uh, generates the energy for that pole to go round and round and round. That pole is connected uh, to a platform uh, the pole is stationary, connected to a platform, and through a motor and system of pulleys is attached to, which is attached to the stationary pole. So, all the di the different um, cranking rods and the, and the system of pulleys is the government, is the various uh, latitudes of government, municipal, federal, uh, panchayat. Um, all of these are the, are the pulleys. Uh, then you have the cranking rods from which the ceiling, uh, where the merry-go-round is, uh, the hosses are attached to the ceiling, which is we the people sitting on those, uh, sitting on those uh, hosses. Uh, we are those hosses. And uh, the cranking rods are the, you know, perhaps the panchayat. 
So if you put it in this sense, uh, you understand why it's important for someone to be neutral. If that pole, that metal pole in the center was not a neutral pole, uh, then we wouldn't have uh, we wouldn't have a, a government, we wouldn't have a state, we would always be fighting divide and rule. Uh, and at one time the pole would fall down because it's always leaning towards one side or leaning towards the other side. You cannot have a leaning pole, the, the country will not work. You have to have a central pole, a neutral pole that is equal to all sides and that's why the president is very important. Um, and it's a check. It's it's part of the checks and balance in a demo in a parliamentary democracy, which is very important for the continuation of uh, of governance. Uh, and so that's why a president is very important. Now, people like uh, Yashwan Sinha, she Yashwan Sinha her her opponent said she was going to be a rubber stamp. Uh, that was really below the belt. Uh, first of all, you don't say such things about a president or future president or presidential candidate because this is not um, a system of uh, po this is not politics. Uh, the the so it's 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 very degrading. Uh, he should have never said it. It's disgusting. Uh, point number two is that um, she has the ability to uh, she has to finally sign bills into law. And she can put her foot down. So she has the ability to do things. She finally signs up on war uh, if the country goes to war. So she does have latitude. More, Her duty and the duty of the government is to work in conjunction with your president in power. Uh, she can absolutely say no. She can, she, and, and Srimati Draupadi has said no in the past. She has voted against the BJP, some laws that she did not appreciate. And so, yes, it, it is, uh, she does have some latitude, or the, the president will have some latitude. Uh, she is very, very uh, knowledgeable. She is very, um, she's got a lot of experience, and she will, she will be very interesting, uh, a, a president, and she will go down in history. We have no doubt about this, and we all, we provide her with, with positive energy um, and that is important for us and we, we I hope that everyone will cooperate with her and use her power, use her knowledge, use her journey to empower each and every one of us. Um, so point that's point number one. Point number two is that a president should be neutral uh, and there have been some presidents who have not neutral. So um, um, basically the Congress and uh, has always thought itself at, as a colonial power. The Congress has, has, has dictated the rules and the laws and society and things that everyone has to be subjugated to the laws. They are the truth, the way, the life. And we are all dirtbags. And if they say something, it's, the, it's, the, it's heavenly law and no one can challenge it. So that's why they're going age speech, age speech, uh, Islamophobia, because they cannot be, believe uh, that they're they they actually being challenged. They are supremacist. And Nehru started, Pandit Jawaharlal Nehru started this nonsense. He, he was a Marxist, that means didn't believe in religion. 
which is fine, but he wanted to impose his ideology into every, on everyone. He wanted everyone to disassociate with religion, except when it came time to using them as vote banks. So as long as they need vote banks, those who needed the vote, his votes, those who he needed votes for were okay to follow religion, uh, and so did his daughter do the same thing, his grandson, and now his great-grandson is also doing the same thing. However, um, he wanted everyone to be secular, that means should not be seen with any one particular religion. Um, and as someone said on the internet, um, if, um, yeah, Dr. Rajan, sorry, someone said on the internet, uh, on, on the comments about uh, how he wanted Dr. Rajendra Prasad, one of the early presidents, uh, yeah, Dr. Rajendra Prasad wanted to uh, visit the Somnath Temple and help and, and, uh, for the rebuilding. And he was considered a right wing. Uh, Jawaharlal Nehru tainted himself, painted himself as a secular person who was equal to all religions, but behind the back there was a garbage bin. It was a symbolic, synthetic scam. Um, and he wanted to be seen as absolutely neutral, the state should not interfere, blah, blah, blah. But Dr. Rajendra Prasad, who absolutely wanted to go to Somnath Temple, went there, and he that caused a rift between them. And he was considered... Uh, a right-wing. Um, Nehru pushed all the people with opinions that countered his own who did not want to be sub subjugated and did not want to submit to this secular Marxist society, a Marxism which uh, was camouflaged by, by secularism, but it was an absolute Marxism, a uh, communist state where everyone had to be away from religion and um, or his idea of religion, and everyone had to be uh, subjugated to him, and he was going to control everyone. And that was Nero's idea. He was the one who constructed this ideology to begin with, uh, inspired by the Marxism and the communism of the of uh, of the Soviet of Soviet Russia. And that's what we became—a communist state. So we were for the first sixty years, first seventy years after 1947, a communist state in reality. We were never a democratic state, and we have to say it. So he had that problem with Dr. Rajendra Prasad. He pushed everyone in on the right who wanted to, you know, go and, and, and be part of, of the temples, uh, contribute to them, con contribute to renovating them, uplifting them, resurrecting the Vedic civilization. He wanted them to be absolutely neutral and just forget about the past. And But he... And, and basically, that's why we have a right wing that is from the BJP and, and, and you know, um, the RSS and, and the Bajrangal, because Nehru pushed them away. He did not give them space. He did not understand. He refused to understand that people were had different points of view. You cannot have everyone subject, be subjugated to your point of view. That is feudalism. That's communism. That is not democracy. And he did not like it. So he... He basically made India into the socialist communist state. And every Hindu, every person who considers himself Hindu, who was loyal to not only the state of India, but also um, who, 
who was who wanted to resurrect the Vedic civilization, but also wanted all laws, the laws to be applied to everyone, not just well on the on the basis of secular one law to 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 uh, Hindus and then another law to Muslims and another law to Christians. What is the use of a secular state? A secular state is one that the laws uh, are for everyone, not just Hindus. Um, they did they did not like that. Um, so Hindus were pushed into right wing and said, oh, well, they're right wing because they care about, they want to go into uh, um, resurrecting the Vedic civilization and having same laws for everyone. They became right wing and Nehru um, pushed them out because he wanted everyone, even the president, to be secular. Um, and he was against, uh, he, once, he was against, we know, uh, Sardar Patel. He was against, uh, he was against, um, Rajendra Prasad and basically it is absolute nonsense on the other hand we have uh, President Abdul Kalam uh, Azad uh, Abdul Kalam who Dr. Abdul Kalam I apologize he uh, was elected pretty much after the Gujarat riots um, in 2002 and when he elected he was elected he wanted to go to Gujarat and calm down, uh, you know, offer a peace deal to everyone, calm the tensions down, because that was, that's what presidents do. They calm the situation, they, uh, they diffuse the tension because they are neutral, whether whatever uh, label they have, whatever group they belong to, they are neutral. Uh, and Dr. Kalam went there, um, but at that point of time, um, uh, Atal Bihari Vajpayee, uh, he did not like it, did not want him to go, but Kalam went, Dr. Kalam went to Gujarat. So you have on both sides people um, people trying to make the presidents secular, the secular concept where you cannot, you have to be stuffed and repressed and you cannot go to a, a, a temple or you cannot go to a religious place, which I think is ridiculous. The, it's like an elephant in the room. You cannot take the name of the elephant in the room. You cannot say the word, but it's there. What is the use of the secular? Might as well go to every single religious place and, and, and embrace it all. Embrace the all the single, every single group. E embrace every single um, architectural marvel, every single site, every si and embrace it all. And we can all live together. As um, under one law, under one on on the same fundamental rights, with the same humanity, without this divide and rule that was that's a, a synthetic fabricated uh, narrative of secularism. Um, but behind the scenes, we're all divided. We know that. And then you have this right wing and the left wing. What has it got us? The secular nonsense. Nothing but divide and rule. And this is born out of Nehru's idiotic. Uh, intelligence or lack thereof that he would camouflage he would bring everyone and, and and subjugate them to his ideology he would mold the country into his ideology with with secularism and then say oh well you can't go here but you can't go there but it's not even secularism or as communism it's feudalism anymore and you cannot suppress people at one point as people are going to to explode and volcanoes are going to happen and that's exactly what happened so 
We had Abdul Kalam who went to Gujarat, which was very, very good of him. He became the people's president. We loved him all. We miss him and we hope that he's, he was here at this point of time. Uh, I was a great follower of him uh, and I absolutely loved the man. Uh, and um, of course, then you had Dr. Rajendra Prasad who went to Somnath. Uh, then you had uh, Kovind, uh, the current president, who's outgoing president. Um, he offered some money, if I'm not mistaken, for the Ram Janmabhumi uh, temple in uh, Uttar Pradesh. And it was seen as a big no-no because you can't offer a, a particular group of people uh, money. And then obviously there were some Muslim groups who said, I hope that the president, the honorable uh, president, will uh, offer money also to a mosque, uh, construction of a mosque. And, that was bound to happen because as a president, you're supposed to be neutral. But I say, on the other hand, it is important to embrace it all. So if you, instead of preventing yourself and repressing yourself, oh, I'm going to stay away, I'm going to be neutral, go, go to a temple, go to a mosque, go to a church, go to a, a Gurudwara, go everywhere, embrace it all, and we will all stop being artificially uh, inseminated with this uh, ridiculous synthetic uh, arrogance called secularism but uh, from behind from in front of the screen but to the back though we are all playing the divide and rule so that is what I say similarly I say open every single architectural marvel in this country every single home that was built before 1900 or 1947 architectural structure big monument open them all churches all old churches, temples, mosques, gurubhah, open them on, evaluate them and let them be open to the public for every single person on this planet to be, um, uh, to enjoy and to uh, take part in the heritage of our ancestors, give thanks to them and say thank you for the, for the heritage left behind. So that is what I think, in, in, in uh, my opinion, remove the synthetic, uh, uh, you know, um, synthetic narcissism that's called secularism and embrace the whole thing and you will see at the end of the day we'll, have, we'll heal much better than before. But I hope that uh, Srimati uh, Draupadi Murmur will do the healing for all of us because we really need it. Um, and lastly, I want to bring about, just say some few words on the Adivasi community. Um, which is who she came from. Now, as an ex-Christian, the only thing I knew about Adivasis is what they were poor people, they were Dalit, scheduled, pe scheduled tribes, they were marginalized, they were very poor, and we knew very well that the Christian priests were, were, were doing a massive effort to, to, uh, to uh, convert them. And there have been many, many millions of tribals that have been converted to Christianity. We know that. It is a scam. It is disgusting. It should be uh, over. Uh, it should be bought up and, and challenged. And this uh, proselytization law should be stopped immediately because I'm completely against this. And I know that even in our church, uh, I wouldn't say our church, but yes, I think our church, there were many Adivasis who would come from the central states to work in uh, work in our town in India when I was young. And uh, they would all end up going to uh, church. And we would say, but one minute, aren't you Hindu? How are you going to church? Because these priests from the back, they were doing everything to convert these Adivasis. And it was very, very sad. It was embarrassing. It was disgraceful. And that's really all I knew about the Adivasis. Nothing more. 
So we'll just look at it briefly. Uh, Adivasi is a collective term for uh, tribal people, the indigenous people of India. Uh, I don't agree with the concept of indigenous people of India, but I will get to that. Uh, let's just go with the Adivasi. The word Adi, A-D-I, means from the earliest times, okay, and uh, or from the beginning. And Vasi means inhabitant inhabitant or residence um, and this was coined in the term was coined in the 1930s so Adi Vasi resident from the earliest times um, a movement of indigenous people of India political movement a political sorry just indigenous people to forge a sense of uh, identity uh, among various indigenous groups um, they're also called scheduled tribes uh, which is a legal and constitutional term uh, and it could differ from state to state this is not a, a one-size-fits-all but it's become a stereotype we understand now that it's become a stereotype and it's time to offload the stereotype and look at the individual groups because there are many groups in between and they're all beautiful it has to be looked at individually and in full bloom uh, there are about 200 distinct groups of people speaking 100 languages and a variety of ethnicities and culture. Um, and they are marginalized in Indian society. They constitute about 9%, 8.6 to 9% of the Indian total population. Uh, that's about 104-105 million people. Uh, now, of course, the figures can vary. Um, so Adivasi is supposed to be the original inhabitants of the Indian subcontinent and I that is the worst uh, example uh, the worst the most ignorant uh, concept you can find uh, native people who are the native people of Arab Arabia or oh, the Arabs who were the first Arabs or oh, the native people of North America or oh, who were they or oh, the Aboriginal there is no such thing as native people or indigenous people because until 150 years ago, my dear friends, we were all tribal, okay? We were all tribal. There was no such thing as native. We are currents and waves and we moved on this planet in tribes, uh, whether in the Middle East or we moved in Europe uh, or in Africa or in the Americas, North America, even India, we were tribal. So if you go into the history books, you will see that tribes moved from place to place where the land wasn't plenty. We didn't have 1.4 billion people. We didn't even have 400 million people. Um, not even uh, 300 million people about 150 years ago. So the land was plenty, the people would come, the tribes would come, they would settle down, build some houses, uh, kacha houses, uh, they would work the land, work the land, and gain some money, gain some strength, and if conflict would arise, they would grow in numbers, conflict would arise, uh, they would then fight a battle, and whoever won would take over the land, and the, pre the one that lost was either um, reduced to nothing, killed, or they would move away to some other land. And so the tribal waves moved and moved. Every single one of us was tribal. Even our ancestors were tribal. My gra from our Every village that you see started as a tribal community. It was a tribal community, became... Uh, became a village and that's why you have the word kar, tendulkar. Kar means from the village of. 
from the village of this, from the village of that, uh, and those villages were hamlets with one main ancestor. Uh, so you have Tindal from the village of Tindal. So um, one main ancestor, uh, and you have the descendants where they would be. They would what we call now as uh, joint families. At one point, these joint families were so huge they were tribes, and and they moved around and moved around, and they were not sort of uh, in one place all the time. And and though. And this is the same because at, at our base, we are frequencies, we are currents and waves. Uh, and we keep moving. We're always, always moving. We, the label stays to the land, but the people move. So you can't say that 500 years ago, our ancestors, my ancestors won the same land of the Indian subcon. But where? They could have been anywhere. They could have been in northeast, southeast, the western coast, anywhere. And we have moved and moved and married, intermarried, intermarried. So um, we now form part of a certain region of, of, uh, of the Indian subcontinent, but we've always moved around. So having this concept of indigenous uh, people is, is wrong. It's a stereotype and there's no one who's indigenous. We've all been currents and waves, tribal currents and waves that we've going uh, across and across for billions of years. But the term Adivasi is a collective name, uh, official name given to the in indigenous people, or should I say the tribes of India, people who choose to remain tribes. I mean, they've chosen this way of life. They've chosen not to be uh, into modern construct a modern society and choose to live their tribal uh, uh, ways. I think which is fantastic because there's nothing great about modern society, and I apologize about it. Um, so basically, that it, that's it. So in 1950, the constitutional uh, uh, Adivasis, um, along with untouchables, okay, okay, well, I don't like that term, um, got certain protective provisions. Uh, they were classified in major in vast majority as scheduled tribes. Article 341 authorizes the President of India to specify caste, races, or tribes which shall for the purpose of the constitution be deemed as scheduled tribes. Um, special uh, provisions were made for them in 1951. Um, Sorry, the First Amendment to the Constitution passed in 1951 allowed the state to make special provisions for the advancements of socially educate and educationally backward citizens of India, the scheduled caste and tribes, and the central government has had special commissions for these scheduled caste and tribes, but actually they're just boxes, ideological boxes that people have been put into, then they're stereotyped, and because they're stereotyped, they've fed a narrative that they're marginalized, 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 and they never go anywhere, they, they, they live in the echo chambers of their own voice and they never evolve. And then you get, oh, we need, uh, we need to have uh, quotas for them, but if they evolve and you don't feed them a narrative, they'll be free. Uh, again, you know, as we evolve, we lose our, our, um, our tribal culture, tribal mentality, um, which is a case of any society, but uh, it's a case of even modern India or how we live today. But it is what it is. Uh, all of us, 150 years ago, even 100 years ago, came from tribes, came from villages. So there's no such thing as indigenous. The label might change, but uh, the concept, the mentality will not uh, so they do have political representation in Parliament. Um, 
Now, 95% of, of scheduled tribes live in rural areas, and unfortunately, economic exploitation remains their most acute problem. Uh, some live as hunter-gatherers, some live on the forest for produce, but uh, they sell beedies. Um, from the time of the British ad uh, administration, there have been laws regulating the ownership and use of forest. Um, and most forest is effectively nationalized in India and large areas contracted by to private commercial interest. Uh, and slowly by slowly, the Adivasis have been losing rights on the land and um, and they've been, you know, um, They've, they've been right in asking people, uh, the government, to stop the destruction of the forest and uh, that has continued throughout the century. Uh, and deforestation of, the, of their tribal lands um, and therefore their practices, their tribal way of life is slowly been dying out. Uh, a lot of problems uh, in these lands. Uh, the firewood uh, impact of commercial and sometimes illegal logging goes on. Uh, the worst enemy is the large build scale building dams uh, for irrigation and hydroelectricity. Um, a lot of uh, hydro projects have been carried on since independence. Uh, the largest dam in the Nar is being the construction of the largest dam in the Narmada Basin, one of the 30 planned for the river. The you know, so there were many, many um, protests for this. Uh, so there are other conflicts that go on uh, for the Adivasi communities. Uh, they've all been organized into left-wing groups, okay? Um, not all, but a lot of them been involved, evolved into left-wing groups, socialist, Marxist, communist groups known to India as the Naxalites. If you heard about the Naxalites, uh, they are Adivasi groups who have been in conflict with the Indian government to press for higher wages and payments for forest produce. The Naxalite movement, which was initially a product of the student-led insurrection in Bengal during the 60s and 70s, subsequently spread in the regions of Bihar, Madhya Pradesh, and Andhra Pradesh. As a result, uh, the Adivasis risk becoming victims of both the Naxalite pressure to join them because not everyone is an Naxalite, um, and government counterinsurgency campaigns. Police and forest guards and, and officials have cheated, bullied, and intimidated Adivasis, and large numbers have routinely been arrested and jailed for small offenses. Uh, in such circumstances, many Adivasis prefer to bribe officials in order to escape harassment or else flee into the jungles. Um, so there are many, many problems with this, uh, conflicts that go on, but they're also at the same time fighting for just basic human rights um, and dignity, uh, which was not been given to them um, due to the the west, the left wing mantra of secularism, we cannot do this, uh, um, we cannot show preferential treatment to others, and we have to stereotype them into these ghettos, these ideological ghettos, these labels, uh, where they, they listen and they live on slave plantations, and they listen to the echoes of, the, of their own voice, and they will never evolve. So 
the left, the Jawaharlal Nehru and his, the Congress has uh, institutionalized this reserved slave mentality to a narrative when in, in reality, these narratives are just man-made issues. They're not exactly for uh, anyone, but they're made so that people might attach themselves to them, uh, be marginalized, and then they can be used for vote bank purposes and money, obviously. There's a lot of money that goes into, the, into them. From the constitution, from the budget, there's a percentage that will be kept for, for scheduled castes and scheduled tribes. Uh, but obviously a lot of it doesn't go to them because of, uh, of uh, political corruption. But if we get off these narratives, we get off these slave plantations, these ghettos, the ghettos of our mind, we will be free. We wouldn't even need this money. We will be independent and not dependent on anyone. And hopefully the Adivasi or the communities, the scheduled tribes, will offload these labels, these ghettos that we've been forced into by the left, by the Congress and their license raj narrative. Um, and we will be better people. So uh, I hope this uh, brought about some, uh, triggered some type of information in you uh, to gain more um, knowledge. I ask you to do your research and to have that conversation, learn about scheduled castes and tribes, learn about systems of government and why we need a president in India and how much we can uh, learn about and say thank you to these Adivasis who kept their ancient culture for us to learn uh, and embody ourselves and empower ourselves with, uh, with new knowledge. So thank you again once, uh, one and all, and I, I, I end this podcast today by saying another congratulations, hearty congratulations and warm felt congratulations to the Right Honourable President of India, uh, Srimati uh, Draupadi Murmu, uh, or in English, Madam President. Thank you. Have yourself a great day.